welcome to Creativity Conversations. This is episode 32, and I'm with the beautiful, talented Ashley Bathgate. Hello, Ashley. Hi, Nina. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you. And we are today going to talk about all things creative, and we may redefine the term, and we'll just see how the conversation goes. I'm going to read just a little bit of Ashley's bio because it's quite extensive and we'll cover that as we go through the call. And, but this will just give you a little bit of a taste of Ashley's background. American cellist Ashley Bathgate has been described as an eloquent new music interpreter, New York Times, and a glorious cellist, The Washington Post, who combines bittersweet lyricism along with ferocious chops. And you'll have to define that for us, <laughs> according to the New York Magazine. Her impish ferocity, rich tone, and imaginative phrasing, again, New York Times, have made her one of the most sought-after performers of her time. The desire to create a dynamic energy exchange with her audience and build upon the ensuing chemistry is a pillar of Bathgate's philosophy as a performer. Dynamism drives her to venture into previously uncharted areas of groundbreaking sounds and techniques, breaking the mold of a cello's traditionally perceived voice. Collaborators and fans alike describe her vitality as nothing short of remarkable and magical for all who are involved. For 10 years, Ashley was a member of the acclaimed sextet Bang on a Can All-Stars. She's also a member of the chamber music group Howl, Two Cents with pianist Lisa Moore, and Bonjour, a low-strung percussive quintet. Where should we go? Oh, I need a new. I need a new bio. Does anybody want to write me a new bio that's well, less I'm not reading the other two pages. smarmy and like <laughs> name droppy? One of these days, I I've always wanted to just like have one of those super witty. I don't give a crap bios. That's just like I'm not gonna say anyone's name or any New York Times quote or quote from anywhere, and just like talk about my hobbies and you know interests. And your dog. One day. Yeah, but now that you read it back to me, I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> so nice to have you on the call, Ashley. Tell us a little bit about how you got interested in the cello. Sure. Okay, so I'm going to try to be as qu move quickly through this um, so I don't take up too much time. But basically, I grew up in Saratoga Springs, New York, uh, upstate from the city about three years, three years, three hours and my mother was a barrel racer, which is a kind of Western riding with quarter oh, yeah. horses. Yeah. So I was like a rodeo brat. Like they were, until I was in school, they were dragging me on the rodeo circuit, mostly in the South, like Oklahoma and Tennessee and Texas and all that. And I do have some memories from this time where we would be at honky tonks they took me to the grand Ole opry like i was meeting all these country stars like conway twitty and and loretta lynn and minnie pearl and i i think i just was early on very fascinated with performing because even at the you know honky tonks and music like concerts that we would go to after these rodeos like i would be running up to the stage and like sitting there and wide-eyed and and into it and then there is some picture like floating around in me. It's super cute. Like I'm, I think I must be three years old and I have like rollers in my hair and like a fake microphone and a fake guitar. And like I'm in my mother's high heeled shoes, just like looking fiercely 
singing Patsy Cline. So music was a part of my life early on. Uh, and I loved singing. And then so from country music, you know, then it was church choir and glee club and chorus and all of these things. And then finally they offered the instrument petting zoo when you're in fourth grade. Uh, I think I was about nine or so. And I picked the cello really because it was one of the biggest. Maybe I, I for some reason I knew the double bass wasn't for me. Um, but cello, it just felt that was the one I gravitated towards. And of course, your teacher's like, oh, your hand is perfect for the cello, which probably isn't true. <laughs> but she said that. And then I started playing this instrument and I took to it very quickly and I was good at it. And then I remember a year later, I was sort of like, oh, OK, enough cello. Now I want to play a wind instrument. I want to play the saxophone. But you had to play the clarinet. Uh, to get to the saxophone. You couldn't just start with sax. So I was going to play the clarinet and I was all geared up to start a, a new, uh, you know, extracurricular within that school year. And the string teacher came to me and she said, oh, would you please just give it one more year with the cello? You know, you're really good at it. And and I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And I stuck with it. And then I just never stopped. So I started taking private lessons uh, within in the community. I joined the Empire State Youth Orchestra, which was an incredible, is an incredible organization. Sort of very fortunate to have that in our community. They're based in Schenectady. Uh, we would rehearse at Shaker, but we got opportunities to perform in Carnegie Hall, in at Tanglewood, in Ozawa Hall, Proctors every year for the Melody Melodies of Christmas program that would be televised on CBS. And they had concerto competitions, which I am an unprecedented two-time winner of the Lois Lyman cello concerto competition. <laughs> so I won it twice, and I think that kind of got me hooked because then I realized, ooh, I get to like play a solo with the whole orchestra. And we had this incredible conductor, Francisco Noya, gorgeous Venezuelan piercing blue eyes at the podium and I was like I'll memorize this Brahms symphony <laughs> if I can stare at you for the next 90 minutes uh, and so I did and so anyway there were all these influences and I had wonderful teachers I was very lucky and I was also big into sports so I, I was a pitcher in softball and I played tennis and these things you know were both big parts of my you know after school activity but at a certain point music won out and then I continued uh, my studies with Luis uh, Garcia Renart at Bard College as my undergrad and then I got my master's at Yale School of Music studying with uh, Brazilian cellist Aldo Paraso and then I was hell-bent on moving to New York City. I think I always wanted to live in New York City, even from when I was a kid. And I remember my one of my composition professors at Martin Bresnick suggesting that I audition for the Bang & Can All-Stars. And at that point, I didn't know who they were. I hadn't really done a lot of contemporary music. I didn't know the music of Steve Reich or Philip Glass even or any of these minimalists or post-minimalists and winning that audition immersing myself in the contemporary music scene in New York City and obviously with that band we traveled 
all over the world and all over the U.S., that kind of like blew the the lid off. You know, I I've, I had always felt something was missing because as a cellist or as a string player, typically, you know, when you're learning, you're learning to read music and you're playing in orchestra and chamber music ensembles, there's a traditional repertoire, right, that, that mm -hmm. they tell you you should play, concerti, string quartets, symphonies, right? What I listened to, you know, and what I still listen to predominantly is country music, folk music, Frank Sinatra, Aretha Franklin, R&B, like I do in a healthy diet of like what's out there today, but I have to say like I, I hover in that 50s, 60s, 70s pocket when I'm listening to music. So how was I going to merge those worlds, you know, of like what I love or what I, what spoke to me the most and then like being a cellist who plays classical rep. And so this new music ensemble kind of hit all those bases. There was a little bit of jazz, there was free improv, there was minimalism, post-minimalism, and then crossing over into um, working with indie rock bands and um, singers Ornette Coleman, you know, I didn't, I didn't work with him, but the band hadn't, so we were playing, we had a piece written by him, and, you know, all, all these other influences, along with the use of amplification, which was kind of huge. I mean, I hadn't played using a microphone or a pickup or any effects or pedals or things like that before, so that really intrigued me because all of a sudden my color palette was that much bigger, yeah. you know. Yeah, I guess that's kind of what made me the most excited was that arrival. I was 23, just moved to New York City. Here I get to join this super exciting ensemble, travel the world. I'm continuing my studies, essentially, with them. And, and this leads me down this path of commissioning composers and working with them and, and a little bit of writing my own music and improvising more and even getting to use my voice again, which was something I had kind of left um, by the wayside. And, you know, one day they were like, oh yeah, you gotta sing. We didn't mention that, but <laughs> you do. <laughs> and so, so that was fun. And now, and now people know that I sing too. And so they write music where I can sing and play at the same time. And that's anyways, that goes a little bit beyond what, what you asked for, but. No, that's perfect. I think the first time I <laughs> saw you or I met you, it was at uh, Mass Mocha, and you were playing your cello with two bows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you may not have Shad. remembered that. Well, I, but I know the piece. I mean, I, yeah, I think I remember, I forget what year it was, but I forget what year anything is at this point. <laughs> what day are we even? Yeah. Um, but, but yes, when I did the Ash Suite that mm -hmm. summer, and that was Jacob Cooper's piece ley line right where he at the very end I whip out two bows and I'm kind of going nuts on it I'm glad you got to see that oh that was so much fun and then I think maybe the last time no it wasn't the last time but I when you were again at Masmoka, you did a combination of the Bach piece and was it Philip Glass or Steve Reich it was Philip Glass songs and poems yes paired with a Britain suite solo suite for cello. But you did right? a Bach piece too. At uh, Mass Mocha, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have allowed that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Maybe 
maybe I did. I, I won't, but I, it's, they would always tell me that I couldn't ever. It was a stretch to get Britain, but I'm sure there was some box somewhere. I can't uh, remember. Or else it was but, but I, reality. I, <laughs> <laughs> or it could have, or maybe it was another show, because you guys have come to a lot of my performances. Yeah. I think the past several years, uh, especially when I was working on that Ash project, I had commissioned the Sleeping Giant Collective, who are six composers that I had been to school with and knew and the idea was that I was also unearthing and bringing back into my repertoire the six Bach suites mm. uh, and and those pieces were inspired by different elements and movements from those suites and so I started doing that in concert a lot mi mixing the two and mm -hmm. and well just it was a reason to to go back to that repertoire which I really love to do and even these days you know I, I did a performance with uh, violinist Jill Levy, who's the concert master of the Albany Symphony. We did the Ravel duo together, mm -hmm. and I got her to do some contemporary music, and it was really fun, but I find that now, because I do so much contemporary music, I actually enjoy more when I get to return to that mm. classical repertoire, and I approach it as if it were new music, so there's less, I have less fear and pressure I guess, on myself than when I was doing it in college and grad school. And by the way, for those of you who are listening or watching, there are lots of Ashley's videos on YouTube where you can see both the classical and the contemporary music, mm -hmm. which is great. So you've said so many things already about the creative process. and. Clearly, your collaboration with other composers and musicians have a lot to do with that, but how would you define your, and maybe you wouldn't call it this, but how would you define your own process of creativity? I mean, do you, where does it come from? <laughs> how do you tap into it? Where do your ideas originate? Sure. I mean, well, you asked the other day, we had a little chat and Nina asked me, well, what is, what is your definition of creativity? And I, as a creative, I had to think for a second. I was like, wow, I've never asked myself that question. But I think really what it comes down to in a few words is just, it's your imagination, right? It's your personality. It's your imagination. It is the channeling organization and implementation of your imagination and kind of like being brave enough to put that out into the world. So does creativity and, involve bravery? I think it absolutely does. I mean, otherwise we would never speak or make music or <laughs> perform or, or really do anything. Um, and that's the thing is like, it has such a, as I get older and as I think we're gonna discuss, it's taken on new meaning and it it's, can be as simple as you know, our liar's dice, <laughs> Jenny and Ben's holiday party, and, you know, this kind of gathering of a small group of people, or it's performing on stage, or maybe it's not, you know, I used to think of myself as only a cellist. Okay, well, that's what I do. I sing, and, and I do all these other things as hobbies or extras, but I'm, I studied cello, so I must be a cellist, and this is like the only thing that people will know me as, and this is the only thing that's legit. Um, when in fact, you know, I've, I've try, I'm trying to break out of, of those things, you know, I don't want to be known as just a cellist or just a contemporary cellist, 
I use my voice. Uh, I write. I mean, especially during this pandemic, I think I've shed those, shed my identity in a way, you know, because I'm not doing what it is I normally do. I'm not doing live performance. And I've had to find other um, ways of channeling my energy. And, and yeah, for me, like creativity, but also the output, right? Having an, an outlet for what's inside. And I, I am a very, I'm an Aries. I'm an extremely extroverted person. Uh, I have a lot of emotion, a lot of, you know, good and bad emotions. <laughs> and so I feel like, well, if you play sports, then you can take it out in a, in a physical way. Um, but if you're a creative or an artist, like you're, it's, it's a, a more, maybe a gentler approach or a, or, or more intellectual or more feeling, you know, that, but it needs to get out. At least for me, I yeah. feel it needs to get out. Other people may, may sometimes are like, I don't need this from you right now, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I feel <laughs> that it's necessary to put this out in the world and to take some of the what I would consider useless or or things that wouldn't help or or wouldn't um, be giving back to the community, I can channel it into music. You know, I can channel, I can turn it into a positive. For me, that's life giving. And that's, that's sort of like the root of why I do what I do is just I have this thing inside of me that I've always felt like I'm performative, you know, and I, I want to share and I want to know people and I really want to connect with people um, and so I think having you know when having an audience whether it's virtual or in person allows you to have this incredible connection with people and often a nonverbal connection which I think is is really important it's so cheesy when you're well music is the universal language but it really is I mean, it's something that like unites us, it grows us, it, it, I mean, I can go on and on about that, but. There are two things that I just wanted to highlight because I think they're part of that urge to express is that it comes through us. There's a, it's, you know, the channel, you use the word channel, it comes through us. And then in your talking about collaboration, that is even another boost, if you will, for expressing that thing that wants to come out. That, you know, what, what wants to show up, what wants to happen. And that seems certainly to be part of the bravery that comes with being willing to be creative. But on the other hand, it's like, so what? It's bravery? It kind of is, but it isn't, you know? It's only, only bravery, I think, when I'm attributing it to myself. How am I doing? How's it look? But otherwise, you know, we were talking about this the other day. If I'm pointing out, listen to this, you know, how beautiful this is. This isn't about me. It's about the music. It's about the creation. And that seems to take a lot of the self-absorption out of it. Yeah. Well, it's this kind of lifelong journey of shedding your ego, right? I mean, and that's, and you, it's a process. And sometimes I'm there and sometimes I'm not there. I mean, that's a whole other discussion maybe, but 
But I think that's important because that is like dropping that ego or being able to set it aside has allowed me to be more creative, has allowed me to be more in touch with who I am on the inside and therefore share a more authentic um, version of myself, I feel. And to not be afraid, you know, of, of sharing things or to not be filtering as much or censoring oneself or doing the things doing things or doing things the way that you want that you think other people want to receive them yeah um or take them in so yeah it it goes towards like being a more authentic self and therefore a more authentic creator i think and that is that is freedom isn't it it's like it's total freedom yeah um but not and not to side sorry i wanted to also say about like collaboration i mean i'm for me that's essential I do do solo work and performances and I enjoy that part but you know this is a hard anyone who is an artist uh it is a hard life like it's it's uh, especially if you're a freelancer like it's very unstable it comes and goes um there's a lot of frustrating things about about doing this for a living but the one thing that keeps me going is just that hour or however long I'm on stage or in a Zoom room, man, does that, is, that's like in the present, in the moment, true joy and happiness for me. Like that is the place. That is it. You know what I mean? And, and like certainly there are other things in life that are rewarding, and, but there's nothing like that time. Mm-hmm. And no matter how, you know, I was saying the other day how like my day can be just full of, nerves and my stomach's in knots and I'm like fending off all of these like negatives and I didn't sleep the night before and yada 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 but then it's like you're on all of a sudden and you're in the moment and it's equal to like meditation it's equal to you know sometimes when I'm taking a yoga class like it's that kind of feeling where you aren't thinking about the past you're not worrying about the future you're just there yeah and and especially when you're able to be there fully right like that's amazing and I don't feel that way when I'm alone on stage all the time I mean maybe I can be super in the music but when there's other people around me and I'm I'm like connecting visually and listening and responding we're reacting to each other you're in close proximity so you're exchanging this incredible energy not to mention the energy with the audience in front of you I don't know it's like is there anything like that in the world like it's such a magical feeling and so my life without collaboration would just be not as rich I think as it is and and that's and also the other thing is that I'm a I don't want to say I'm not something but I would say that I'm much better at building something with another person contributing interpreting um being direct taking direction uh than i am at the one being the one who's the brains behind the whole thing or who composed the piece who's giving the direction or so you know it's like i something in at least at this point in my life like i don't feel the ideas if i have them okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to just run all this and I'll tell this person and this person, I'll hire them and the, right? Like I'm not that person. I'm like a more, I think a cog in the wheel or like a, you know, I consider myself in, and I always talk about 
I relate it to being an actor of some sort. It's like I put on the different hats. I interpret other people's music. Um, and when I'm working on, you know, a piece that I might commission, I'm not writing it, but boy, is it fun when I get to weigh in and I get to have that back and forth with a composer where they're asking me for input or where I'm editing the piece or where I'm saying this works, this doesn't work. Oh, hey, I have an even better idea. That some, I, somehow gets me moving and then I s easily step into that role maybe of being more creative but left to my own devices by myself alone, I don't know. I don't know if I could be that composer who, who sits down at the computer or at their desk every day. And, you know, like the, I think the story is like Philip Glass, he, he wakes up every morning early and he just writes for four hours every day. I can't imagine doing that. <laughs> well, that can't be the only way to do it, right? No, no. I mean, there's, there's dozens of ways to do it, but somehow I just that that's not my forte like I want to be in a room with people I want to be having discussion I want to be contributing ideas but and sort of having that exchange uh, and anyway you get that from collaboration and so I, I think it's a huge part of why well it's a huge part of creativity and making art Here's a question that I have about collaboration because I definitely get a sense of what you're talking about it's also a place where we have the issue of egos coming up, right? You've got a group of people and they're all talented and uh, full of ideas and ready to rock and roll. And yet egos can come in the way. I think it should be done this way. No, I don't think it should be done that way. How do you get beyond that? Well, sometimes I am that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Yeah, especially when I'm passionate about something or excited about something, I can be that person in the room who just won't shut up and who's like fighting for their idea, you know, tooth and nail or charming my way to like getting my way. <laughs> so I think we can all be that person. I try not to be. I think in, in a funny way, contemporary music and playing and banging a can for so many years, I learned to just kind of sit back more and relax and embrace you know what comes at you and not not be too worried about choose your battles kind of thing but how do i get around it i mean well the number one way is to surround yourself with people who aren't like that <laughs> um who 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 won't have that tendency i think to have their ego involved because at the end of the day when that happens it's about you. It's not about the, it's not serving like the art that you're making or the mm. music you're making. Um, and certainly I think it's great when we develop a sense uh, of when we, when we cross that line too in ourselves, because we always will, we will, we're human, but knowing when to step back or knowing when to say, Oh, I think I'm getting in the way of what I, what my goal is or what our goal is. Yeah. What are you um, in service to? Are you are you asking or just no? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I know well, that could mean. be another question. But in terms of being in a group and working collaboratively in a group, it seems like that's an important question, whether it's stated overtly or not. Is that what are we? Who's, you know, what are we after? What what's our goal? You know, is it just yeah, this idea well, that person's idea. 
I mean, much like life, I think these are all relationships, right? And they function well with good communication, boundaries, uh, kindness, uh, generosity, and, uh, and self-awareness. I always talk about self-awareness. I feel like sometimes that's the thing I try to be the most, you know, because I can be a very um, impromptu, like, or like say what I'm feeling so quickly and like not, you know, shoot from the hip. That's a good way to put it. Because I'm that type of person, I feel like I've also had to develop a, a camera view of myself, <laughs> you know, and I, and I surround myself with people who are also like that, who, so if, we, you know, it's fine to like be passionate about your ideas or to disagree and have this discussion. I actually think it's great because you can, you can get somewhere from that, you know, you might get to a better result or a better solution to a problem. But then comes the point of like, well, I want to hear what you think, you know, or, or what do you feel about this? Or can we try, you know, there's a language in every discipline and music is no exception of like, how you how you ask it, you know, and or how you phrase it is just so important, can make all the difference in offending someone, or hurting someone's feelings. Uh, I, forget, I can't think of what I wanted to say. But you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. uh, like, if we can be aware of, of our language, I think that's really important. And that's, that's also, in a way, how you can get your own ideas across. And maybe and maybe you will get your way, if you're willing to share the stage, or you're willing to kind of like, open the discussion up in a in a more positive way. And I think the tendency in things that are more toxic or less productive is just when everyone's sh screaming and shouting over each other or they're just so in their head of like, no, it, it can only be this one way. I mean, I've learned just, it's, it's never can, it's never gonna be one way. You know what I mean? There's a million ways to phrase something. There's a million ways, you know, our definitions of intonation, even like at that fundamental technical level, uh, are different how we hear things are different our internal pulses our rhythm is different and I, I think I've come to realize that you know everyone has talents and everyone has kind of a super intelligence right and we all have different assets in that way and so I think it's important to be like keen it's like when you meet someone like I immediately am kind of do a, a scan <laughs> you know what I mean of like okay, cool, like I've talked to this person and I'm getting a, this vibe and oh wow, like they're really good at this or they're really good at that and, or that's not their strength, you know what I mean? You make these little notes and I'm sure people are doing it with me too. But then, you know, it's kind of like being able to highlight those positives, right? Mm -hmm. In everyone and in ourselves and then throwing that into the pot as opposed to your opinions and convictions and stubborn natures, right? <laughs> this sounds awfully familiar. I wanted to go back to something you said earlier and then refer to an earlier conversation that just you and I had about being a multi-potentialite. And for those of you who haven't heard that term before, a multi-potentialite is someone who has many gifts and talents and uh, they pursue them. So someone might start out as a lawyer and after a couple of years, they're done. 
they become a chef. And after a while, they become a yoga instructor. They just keep trying things. And for most people um, in our society, that's a bad thing. You're thought of as a quitter. You can't find something. And, and yet, for those people who are talented or who are willing to explore their possibilities, they get what they need out of each exploration on each subject that is interesting them. And you were saying earlier, like I was saying to you, I definitely think you fall into that category. And you were saying in our earlier conversation that you have been doing things during this lockdown, this stay-at-home lockdown, that you hadn't done before. And you were just looking at other things. So can you talk a little bit about what this particular time period has done for you? What has, has it given you different opportunities to see different possibilities in yourself? Yeah, for sure. As fraught as this has, whole thing has been um, and difficult, I think for all of us, it, there are silver linings and one of them is having time, you know, uh, and being in one place for most of it, uh, which I wasn't because I was traveling all the time. I mean, basically, I went from a life that was almost constantly on the road uh, and learning music at a very rapid rate, you know, a new program every couple weeks, rarely the same music or the same people. And for a while, I had been feeling sort of just burnt out and frustrated and like I couldn't catch my breath or I, and I and I couldn't it's not that I couldn't come up with ideas but I just, I just felt like nothing was coming naturally you know or that if I did have an idea I'd write it down or I'd get as far as the pitch or the you know the budget or something but then I would just I would abandon it and it was just like everything was just a a written down to-do list that was a mile long and nothing was getting achieved because I was concert to concert and this this to really like pay my bills and and honor my responsibilities and even my personal relationships you know suffering from that lifestyle so I moved out in New York City that was another you know thing I just if New York wasn't giving me what I needed you know which was some quiet and and a little financial relief and um not that go 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 all the time vibe and so I moved back here about two years ago and then of course this pandemic hit and that brought everything to a screeching halt uh, which was sad and and frustrating and really stressful at the beginning but then I quickly just kind of switched gears and and told myself well this is the the time that you've wanted to do these other projects and things and and I thought that that meant I was going to start playing my instrument all day long and recording and um, improvising and composing, right? Uh, but that wasn't where it went. And and honestly, like I think for all of us, like it's been this up and down thing. Like there, I've said before, there are weeks where I'm completely unproductive and I'm on a loop of you know all my feelings and like gone down the rabbit hole of like what is my life right now. And then there are these pockets of like energy and inspiration and and all the synapses firing and I'm I am recording and playing, but I'm also doing other like writing a lot, journaling, writing poetry. Um, I told you in our last conversation how we had a, a few Zoom uh, 
meetings with Anne Bogart, who's a, a wonderful director um, of and a City Company is, is her company. And she was giving us acting lessons and she was spoon feeding us uh, Gertrude Stein and leading us through that poetry. And she's an incredibly inspiring human being. Uh, and so I kept leave for a week. We would meet for about three hours in the morning and I would leave those meetings just vibrating and I would have to go write or I would have to go do something or I would have to go listen to music or go check out the reference or the book that she suggested. And I realized that that's kind of, I mean, this is where my creativity comes from to, or where my energy comes from, I think, is other people being a sponge for the world. You know what I mean? Like, it's the films that we watch. It's the conversations we have. It's the music we listen to, the, you know, the books we read, the, you know, the, the suggestions that come from other human beings, you know, these things. And people ask me, well, what did you, what did, if you could do anything, you had all the money in the world, like, what would you do? It's like, I just want to be a student. I want to be a student for the rest of my life. That's what I want. I, and, I, and it's not that the pandemic was the moment of, aha, this had been cooking for a while. It just really brought everything into focus where I just said, I don't have to be a cellist for the rest of my life. I probably will be a cellist for the rest of my life, but I'm going to do other things. You know what I mean? And I'm going to... I'm going to buy myself some cameras and I'm going to learn how to use them. I'm going to get some good microphones and learn how to use them. I'm going to be able to stream a concert online. I am going to write if that's what's speaking to me at the moment. I'm going to, you know, connect with my friends and give more value to my personal relationships, right? It's just bringing your priorities into focus. That's what this time has done for me. Um, and also just kind of, you know, working on those um, conflicts and, and sometimes traumas that we have in ourselves uh, that we've neglected. You know, a lot of, you know, a lot of times our careers, like they take us away from actually dealing with that stuff. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not a person who I don't I don't go to uh, therapy. Um, not that I, I wouldn't, but it's kind of a number one, it's a monetary thing. Um, you know, insurance doesn't always cover that. Uh, but also it's, I'm gone all the time. You know what I mean? So it was like, I, I didn't have a life where I could, oh yes, my weekly, you know, this or that. So I started finding, um, roots to that stuff in other ways, like meditation and yoga and, um, you know, reading a lot of books on that. And then this time, right? Like of quiet and space to actually think and, and, and get at that has been really important. And again, like all of this is kind of, it brings me to a place of feeling more free and out of the box, out of the box of being a cellist. Um, I, I mentioned to you like the Laurie Anderson uh, video, I forgot to send it to you, I'll send it to you. Uh, you know, it's a five minute interview where she says, well, you know, I call myself a multimedia artist. And she says, what a bullshit term that is, like how ridiculous. <laughs> um, but, but it gets you out of the box, right? So nobody's gonna label you. And as a result, she's free. She's free to create and nobody's criticizing or questioning her path of 
today I'm a composer, today I'm a violinist, a vocalist, a writer, a visual artist, you know, she has a whole exhibit at Mass Mocha, um, oh, the, what is it, the VR, I don't know if you guys did that VR room at Mass Mocha, holy no. moly, incredible, um, my dad did it too, <laughs> he was like losing his mind, but it was, you know, an amazing installation there, and so, how I mean she's one of my heroes like how cool is that it's just like she does what she wants to do and there's no reason that any of us can't do what we want to do and I I just sort of have let go of um thinking that I can only do one thing or that I need to have a specialty um and I I think pandemic aside, like this is just something you maybe come across as you get older. Like I'm 35 now and I felt as even at as soon as 30, like I started getting more antsy and like, ooh, is this where I want to be at in my life? And do I have everything I need? And like, you know, like all these things. And, and truth be told, it's like, yeah, you, you're aware of your, you become increasingly aware of your mortality and like, and value your time. And, you know, things like making a million dollars, at least for me, become less important. Being a famous cellist, less important. What's important to me is that I'm constantly learning um, and that I work on my relationships and, and you know, my family and um, having roots and having inner peace and happiness, being healthy, mind and body. Um, and I think I, just when I take the business and like the career side of it out, um, what brings me the most joy and what makes me feel the most convinced, I guess, or, or inspired is just by taking in the world and having experiences like the human experience and you pull from all of those things or having the time to just read a book cover to cover to read poetry every day or to meditate every day um, this is what breathes life into the whatever art that i'm going to make and that feels authentic and that feels um true and I'm, and then I'm just not worried. I'm just not worried about the form, what, wh how it comes out or like what instrument it is through, only that it's me expressing myself and I, and I believe in it. And I think that's the thing is like we can fall into these ruts where maybe you have insecurity or you're doubting or you're, or you're burnt out or you're tired of being a cellist. You know what I mean? Like I used to think that this was would be a horrible thing, right? If I stopped playing the cello, or even if I didn't pick us, like there was a certain point where it was like, I felt, oh, well, I'm getting older now. Maybe I should have a specialty like Glenn Gould, right? Like maybe I should only play the box suites, or maybe I should only play classical music, or I should only do this kind of contemporary music. Now, for those who want to do that and who, who, get their kicks doing that I think it's wonderful right but I've never been that kind of person I'm the multi-potentialite I'm the the drifter I want to wear different hats and masks I want to be different characters I 
and I realized at a certain point, I was like, I'm never, I'm not going to change in that way. Like, I'm always going to want to do different things um, and try new things. And so why not just embrace that instead yeah. of thinking of it as a, as a, oh, well, you're just not focused enough or you're not working hard enough or, you know, if you don't specialize, you'll never, um, what's the word, like, distinguish yourself you know, in your community or in the, in the performance world. And it's um, all made up. All of Yeah, it's up. all made up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've, you know, without asking you directly, you've, you've um, answered a lot of the questions that I was going to ask you. And if it's okay with you, I would love to open the conversation up to whoever is on the call here. And if you would like to raise your blue digital hand that's at the lower right hand side of your participants box, or you can put something in the chat, or you can raise your hand, although I may not see that as quickly. Yeah, Zoom keeps giving us more and more emojis. Gary. Gary's raising a real hand. Okay. He is. So can you unmute yourself, Gary? I can't. I'm raising my real hand because I didn't see my uh, my uh, digital hand for some reason. I have some I have something other than what I usually see there. But you've answered a lot of the questions I was going to ask, Ashley. And, and this is really, really fascinating. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but I'd love to hear your feeling about it. Um, the impression I always get from you is just the, the, the sheer joy of being alive. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that as a link to your, to creativity coming through you. How, how, how responsible is that, just that sheer joy of being alive in terms of feeding your creative spirit? Yeah, uh, good question. I mean, I haven't thought that much about it, but I suppose that's kind of the crux of it all. I mean, that when people talk to me about watching me play, that's usually the thing that comes up first is like your face, how I'm watching you um, enjoy or experience the music that you're playing. And somehow I've been able to, I won't say always because it's not always, but a lot of the time it's like it's happening in real time you know what i mean there's not there's nothing really put on or or programmed it's just i'm having like in the moment reactions to things i'm smiling i'm frowning i'm crying i'm right and it's all over my face um i don't know where that came from but it's part of who i am right and i think that's really um injected into well, whatever I do, but mostly performance. Hmm. How is the joy of life in, in terms of my creative creativity? I, th I mean, I think that's actually, it's more difficult for me than, um, I'm glad I look joyful all the time, but like, <laughs> like any other human being, I'm totally not. <laughs> um, I can be a real mess and really sad. So I get really sad about boys. It's really bad. <laughs> like you know too sad about them um and like you know i'm joking but i'm not really joking <laughs> but in any case we all have these things right in our life and and um that's hard for me like sometimes i get in these ruts or i get stuck or i 
I, um, I can't tap into that joy. And then I, I find it difficult and I have to fight really hard to, to get back at it or to, to bring it, you know, front and center. Um, but I have, whether it's taught or instinctual, like, I think it comes, you know, from my parents too, of, you know, like when I was a kid, sorry, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be on a lot of tangents here, but when I was a kid, my, my father, I think he just instilled this fearlessness in me. And one of the things I remember is that he, for some reason, thought it was a great idea to like have me climb our roof as a, as a toddler. No idea why that was a great idea. But there's this picture of me just like ascending a ladder. And of course, he's like holding me and he's right behind me. But he's like that. That's it. It in a nutshell of like what my childhood was, was like, go ahead, baby, like reach for the stars and I'm going to be here supporting you no matter what you do. And but I want you to try, you know, like shoot for the moon. I'm just going to (laughs) cry. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Wow, it's so beautiful. Oh, you caught me. You caught me. That's just another but... expression of joy <laughs> in, a, in a slightly different guise. There's scary. It, yeah, so it is joy, but I think this from childhood was like, don't be afraid of anything and don't be afraid to be emotional or to feel. Um, yeah. This is terrible. I never, I don't cry like this. But don't be afraid and like, don't be afraid to tell people how you feel and and to express yourself. And having that be okay from an early age. Um, and believe me, sometimes it bites me in the ass big time. But for the most part, like f- having that freedom, um, I think is why I'm also able to like always come back to joy or like gratitude of being alive and and knowing that there's something better around the corner. You know what I mean? Oh, Gary, Gary, why'd you do this? You will notice, notice that the tears didn't displace the joy though, did they? What, sorry? Say I said again? notice that the tears did not displace displace the joy, did they? No, and in fact, in fact, it, it, I feel excited, you know, and so, I've always felt, you know, it's like when we can be in touch with our feelings and like that real emotion, whether, and even when it's the tragic, you know, like such sadness or grief, um, I've always been a person who's really grateful to feel that at all, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And in all of the loss and things that haven't gone well, um, but I, but I felt it and I was really in it and I really meant it. I mean things. I mean the things I say and that I do in life. And, and I, 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 I feel that genuinely. And I, that's, that is joy. You know, I feel like that's a a broad (laughs) encapsulation of it all, but I feel lucky that I, I'm a person who can like tap into all that. Mm -hmm. Um, and and always come back, you know, to the place of like, man, I'm so happy to be here and with all of you, you know. That's beautiful. <laughs> well, we were, I'm not going to let you cry anymore. <laughs> uh, we've got a couple more people that have questions. Let's go to Martin. Martin, yeah. can you unmute yourself, please? Yes, I can. Hello. <laughs> um, so, Ashley, this was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it from from start to finish, but uh, but early on, you said something that really stuck out at me, and 
and you're mentioning I'm not I'm going to butcher this this isn't a direct quote but you're mentioning going back from contemporary to classical and then at some point there was less fear and pressure on the situation and I was curious if you could talk about about that like how you kind of worked through that and um, I don't know I just love to hear you elaborate on that a little bit more yeah for sure um well i it's i don't even want to say classical music because i think it can be anything in your life but there's something about conservatory and like this this tr the way that we're trained as classical musicians right um it's so geared around perfection and getting everything right and not making a mistake um and in some ways it's geared towards um, not doing things by heart or by instinct or by ear, but by studying, reading what's on the page um, and interpreting someone else's canon or, you know. So really from early on, and I, you know, I had was taking lessons and I was practicing like two to three hours a day, even in high school and just working so hard at all that. And then conservatory and the, and the, you know, the, I do put a lot of pressure on myself, but also the performing and especially performing as a soloist, like it feels like I really got to do this well. And like, don't, don't fuck up. Don't fuck up. Right. All the time. You don't want to make any mistakes. We, I used to memorize all of my programs and all of those, that music and, and yeah, there was just always someone around being like, don't make a mistake. Whatever you do, don't make a mistake. Or don't show them that you're rattled. Don't show that you're, you know, that you lost your cool. Don't, if you make a mistake, don't show it on your face that you made the mistake. If you had a crappy performance, make sure you smile and you bow with, as if you did not, you know. <laughs> Um, and so all of that, well, some of it I, I keep with me, but that's exhausting and that's um, not how I want to live my life. And then <laughs> I think getting into contemporary music, it's just a different scene. And especially the band I played in, Bang in a Can, it was like when people would make a mistake, they would smile on stage. Or they would turn it into something cool, or they would improvise, or, you know, I always think of our guitarist, Mark Stewart, you know, who just had this grin on his face, and he's bopping around, and he's an amazing improviser, so I know for a fact he wasn't playing things that were on the page, but he was rocking, you know what I mean, and it was great. Or, you know, something would go wrong, we'd be, three of us would be lost, you know, or, or like nobody was together and we were totally losing it within the piece and it's all going to pot and, and then everybody would be like smiling, like, oh, it's okay, <laughs> we'll find our way back. Um, these ki that kind of freedom and the sort of, or, or not stressing about, oh gosh, we need to phrase it just like this and, and like, look, Beethoven wrote this in the score and you can't go away from that score. It has to be this way. It's like there's none of that in contemporary music because it's contemporary. It's brand new. It's never been performed before. There aren't a million recordings that exist of that music. Um, there, you know, a, an audience is probably less likely to come up at the end of 
your Louis Andreessen, Steve Martland, David Lang show to say, now in measure 52, <laughs> I don't know about that sforzando there. I don't know about that note. I think you played a wrong note. Um, but of course, in a Brahms sonata, right? Or, or a Beethoven symphony, you know, like where a horn player squawks or, you know, like does something. I mean, you know, then you'll hear about it. <laughs> um, and so I, I became, without realizing it, I think I became afraid you know, it was like, it was just perpetuating my insecurities and my fear. So contemporary music freed me from that. And I felt at home there. And I felt like I was someone who was good at interpreting other people's music. So I was excelling at it. And um, as a result, I think then no, knowing, you know, subconsciously or consciously knowing that I wasn't the cellist that anybody was looking to for the quintessential uh, interpretation of the box suites <laughs> or the Brahms sonatas, um, took that pressure off myself and therefore I would go and play a Brahms sonata just not worrying about it anymore, you know? And I would approach it as I had learned to approach new music, um, which is with freedom and as if it were fresh on the page, um, as if, you interpret it how you'd like to interpret it, not how the recording dictated or your teacher dictated or someone else's performance or criticism of uh, your performance, you know? So I, I, does that answer your question? I think, and yeah. now, it's inter now it's interchangeable. I feel like I, bring, I pull from both worlds in different ways and I'm able to um, line jump. You know what I mean? Like I can live in, in both of those places where I feel like if you only do one thing, I mean, back to the multi-potentialite, uh, it's like if you only do one thing your whole life, then that's, maybe that's great, but like you, you missed out on other things. You know what I mean? And like you, you miss out on being able to, to live and adapt and function in other people's worlds. Yeah, definitely. I could tell, honestly, just from your energy explaining the two, how much more free the, the second one was. That was really a, a, a great display. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, Martin. Yeah, We've got a couple you. more questions. So Ashley, if you can go for a few more minutes, let's do it. Oh, and yeah, of course. Let's go to Tracy. Tracy, can you unmute yourself, please? I can. Hi, Ashley. Um, Hi. Thank you. I've really enjoyed um, this conversation. And uh, I have to be honest, I never heard of you before. <laughs> except that <laughs> Nina, um, Nina let me know that you were coming on. And I just went, OK, yeah, she had me a cello, actually. And uh, I have a cello behind me there. It's my son's. Um, I don't think oh. he's going to be going down the same path as you, but um, I, I really love your, I love that, what's the multi-potential? I, I love that word because a lot of what you said really reminded me of me in that, um, yeah, I've, I've always just found it really hard to stick to one thing and always judged myself for it because, you know, it's like you said, Nina, our society doesn't lend itself to that kind of, freedom and change, changing your mind. Oh, but you said you were going to do this and why are you changing your mind? Um, but one thing that really struck for me was 
your progression kind of through your early childhood and teens seems to have been very fluid in that things showed up for you and you know in particular you know the different opportunities that you're like I didn't realize it was such a big deal you know could you talk a little bit about that it's like you didn't have much thinking about it and it just it just arrived with great ease I, I love that that kind of flow yeah well I mean I was very lucky I think you don't sometimes realize that until much later even to grow up in an area where the school the public school had a music program mm. you know and then it's like when I was living in New York I realized oh not everybody has a music program not everybody can afford lessons or uh, has access to musical instruments um, so just right you know right off the bat it was just like where I grew up where I was born like presented these opportunities and yeah very supportive present parents I think who who were there for me and who um, were involved in all the everything that I did you know all my extracurriculars and especially music and my schoolwork and I'm an only child you know that's the other thing <laughs> like I suppose uh, now I'm very sad about that I wish I had siblings but I think no you don't kid, no <laughs> um so much but, drama you're saving yourself <laughs> honestly um but I'm that kidding. was that was another another reason why you know it was just like every all the attention was on me and all the resources and and um um well yeah I think I guess what plays into that too and something you develop is I talk about this a lot when I'm speaking to students of of just being aware of your talents and your strengths and your weaknesses. But if you can be more aware of what you're good at or what you love or what is really inspiring and motivating to you, then you're probably more likely to, to go down those paths that would be um, satisfying in those ways. And hopefully you have people around you who are guiding you and supporting you in the right ways too which i did it was, it's kind of the perfect cocktail in a way um oh my dog i'm gonna let my dogs out <laughs> can't have a zoom um, call without an animal there's yeah, yeah they're everywhere <laughs> they were so good though up until right right then anyway in any case uh i think yeah just i was just very fortunate to have all those things working in the right way um and um, the right the right people, which is also to say, you know, another thank you to my parents of like making sure I had the right people. Like they did a lot of research of of the teachers that I would go to, and 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 I remember my dad saying specifically, like I wanted someone who wasn't mid career or like all about themselves. Like I wanted to find you someone who could really give their time and energy mm -hmm. to you. Um, and he did. He found this. Rudolph Dublin, who um, was a cellist and used to conduct the Buffalo Philharmonic, he was in his 90s at the time, and his wife Helga was a professor at Skidmore, and they were this little elderly couple living in their cottage, and somehow my father found them, and I would go every week, and he didn't even want to charge for lessons, but we, you know we thought it was good, and so I he charged like five dollars a lesson or something like that, so I would go with my five dollar bill 
Dear Mr. Dublin, thank you so much. And he would write these tunes for me. And I mean, but that takes, that wasn't something that I was able to find, right? So it was just having family and I think people, a support system around me that were really doing their research and were really had the right intentions. And then having your mentors, your mentors and teachers have the right intentions as well. Um, but again, back to just, I think just embracing the things that you love or that you want to do, that's important because often I think we can get tripped up or stuck thinking, oh, but I have to do this. You know what I mean? Or like my father was a doctor. I should be a doctor, you know, or, or I can only do this one thing in life or I have to go to this college. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, or that college, uh, you know, because my parents went there or something like that. Like I, I was always given a lot of freedom, you know, to choose also what my, my path would be. And so therefore I never felt like I was forced down any road or, um, I, I wasn't, I really wasn't a rebellious kid either. You know what I mean? Like I think now, now they would tell you I'm quite rebellious. (laughs) It's I'm a late bloomer. Um, but I was really like a pretty good kid and a pretty good teenager. And, you know, once I went to college, it wasn't their problem anymore. And I had a great time at college, but like there wasn't this, I wasn't like at odds with anyone or anything. And, and I just worked really hard. And Mm -hmm. so I don't know if that's answering your question, but this was, this was my path. And I suppose what I have to say, it's like, if you, some of it is, inherent some of but some of it is just situation and I just know that not everybody has has those resources or those opportunities and and I think part of being an artist is that we have to we have to create those opportunities and we have to give back like I have to be the person who is is helping along or supporting or dropping my ego with my students and be I have to be those people who taught me now you know what Mm -hmm. I mean because and especially now, right? Because 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 look where we are, right? I mean, the other day is like just. I mean, so many things. Um, just we have to do better, and I think artists have this responsibility. You know what I mean to our community and to to give back and to to offer. I try to offer transparency. You know, I try to talk about what it is to have a career, or like a career in music. Or, or being a freelancer. I try to give the answers. You know, so many times I feel like people are reluctant to just, just tell you flat out, you know what I mean? Like the truth or or like they don't want to hurt your feelings or they won't give, they'll give you half the answer but not the whole answer so that you could really like latch on to it. And that has happened to me and I never wanted to be that person. So I like with my students or with people I talk to or classes I talk to, I feel like I'm just full on and I'm like, okay, let me explain to you exactly what's happening when I put my finger here or I have my bow here or like how I'm thinking about this piece of music and I'm giving them my internal dialogue almost um, because that's, in, to a certain extent, that's what I had, you know, and that's what I want from people. Uh, and so I think that's, that's getting a little bit off topic, but you know, I just, it's who you surround yourself with or who you can surround mm. yourself with. Yeah. What, I mean, yeah. what do you think? You've obviously thought, you've thought about this more than I have probably, so. No, I, I guess it's something that I am, uh, you know, 
um, that I'm very curious about at the you know at the last while, and it's that the less thinking we have about something, the more it seems to show up with greater ease. You know, and that's what I heard when you were explaining your kind of early exploration with the music was that, you know, things and I, I, I get that your parents did the research and stuff, but there wasn't like put it this way. I don't think my son is going to be going down that route because I have to get him to practice and he barely do 10 minutes. So I'm not going to spend my life fighting with him to play the cello, you know? But my parents made me practice. I'm not going to lie about that either. I'd love to sit here and tell you like, oh, I was just so self-motivated as a 10-year-old. Like, I just couldn't (laughs) do enough of the cello. No, come on. Yeah, well, he's oh, yeah. 15, there were, so there, crying, there were crying fits in this okay. household. Like, you wouldn't believe my father one summer had to pay me to practice. He paid me to practice. Okay. So, so yeah, there's, look, there's, like, the other side of it, too. But, mm-hmm. um, but, but you're right. Like, I'm not a person who, I don't think too hard about those things. And actually, I've, um, I, battle sometimes of like and being ambitious and like like going for something or applying for something auditioning for something pitching something and what feels more natural to me is like what's going to come my way in the world and to be honest like the best things just came my way right so like so and I and I had that little ding light go off that said yeah you should probably embrace that like the bang in a can is a great example because it ended up being one of the best things that ever happened to me I remember I didn't know knew nothing about that had no intention of being a contemporary musician someone made a suggestion I applied I moved to New York City like with nothing with no plan no job I was living in a walk up in Hell's Kitchen and I remember the audition for Bang on a Can was like a block away, like around the corner. So I thought, well, that's funny, you know. And then I went in and didn't know what to expect, wasn't planning to get it. And I had, I had also, I had a, a friend who's in the New York Phil and, and he, he, you know, helped me, you know, get an audition. And so I was going to audition for that and do a bunch of that sort of stuff. And I played this audition. I remember leaving thinking, wow, that's like the best audition I ever played. I have no idea. Why, how did that go so well? And not thinking that I would get the job, right? And then there came a moment where uh, I remember they said, okay, we need you to do, there was like a trial period, you know, where you play concerts. And they said, we need you to do this date. And I remember telling the executive director, I was like, well, but that's my New York Phil audition date. And like, I don't know if I can. And he just wrote back very simply and he was like, so you need to do this. <laughs> he was like, you need to play this concert with us. <laughs> like, hint, hint. Um, it would be really stupid if you don't do this. And I don't know, it was another like ding, ding, ding moment where I was like, yep, okay, I think that's what I need to do. And so I canceled my New York Phil audition. Um, and I ended up, you know, getting the job with Bang and Can. And life has been full of those things. Uh, and truth be told, like, as nice as it would be to to be a member of the New York Phil or to have that salary, um, I can, I could never see myself. That's not, that's not what I want to do. You know what I mean? Like I don't have enough passion for that repertoire. Um, nor, and I am a, you know, I want to be doing a bunch of different things and like in different places with different people. And so that wasn't the answer, 
Bang in a Can was the answer. And then even after I left Bang in a Can and left New York, I was sort of like, oh, what am I doing? Like, this is career suicide. I'm leaving the city and I've left this job that had so much exposure and opportunity and I'm never going to work again. Uh, nobody's going to know that I exist. Uh, not, And then like suddenly, you know, calls came came in and I got really you know I, I got these amazing opportunities and then you know the 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 other new music ensemble eighth blackbird um which is as as well known as bang in a can sort of just oh hi so would you be interested in playing this concert with us and yeah yeah I'm interested and like oh also we need a cellist would you just like to you know be in our so those things you know it, maybe it sounds as if that, oh, I'm so lucky, you know, but I, part of it is just recognizing, right, the, mm -hmm. the opportunities and the, 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 the pings when they come along. And I, I prefer that kind of spontaneous path, I think, in the long run, um, than the one where I'm scratching and biting and fighting for, for something that maybe doesn't come as naturally or... Um, doesn't make as much sense you know yeah no that sounds wonderful um yeah that's great i can't wait to go and listen to your music now actually <laughs> oh, thank, you. thank you let's go to robert robert's been so patient robert can you unmute yourself please okay uh here we go uh hi ashley uh so my question uh does uh, Extend upon something that you said about a half an hour ago that you had described uh, the music as a kind of a of a universal kind of a language. And I would be interested to know uh, to know the types of things that you do have to do make the music as a universal language actually have it be a full type of communication. Sure. Successful type of communication. Like the things that I do in order to make it successfully communicated. Well, I don't, I mean, again, it's like not something I try too much at. I think I allow what's inside to come out and that's, I chose a career and path where I could kind of do that, you know, and like for an audience and be with an audience. Well, okay, let's, let me speak about it a different way. I was thinking that one of the things I'm curious about aside from music, but just in life is, is psychology and universality. Like how, how are we different as humans and how are we the same? And constantly surprised slash not surprised in the ways that we are all similar, even when you think you're different from someone else. Uh, and I love 
thinking about that. I love discussing that. I love talking about my feelings, your feelings, and having that kind of verbal exchange, understanding it, reading about it. I think if, if I had to choose another profession, it probably would be psychology. Um, and uh, that, I guess, thinking about those things um, is something in music, it's like we don't have to think about it, but it's there in the same ways. Because how, like, when I go to a concert, um, or when I listen to a piece of music, I can feel so many different things, including nothing sometimes. You know, maybe I'm, I'm um, closed off, and so I'm getting nothing from this live performance. Uh, maybe I just broke up with someone or someone passed away in my life and I'm feeling grief and sadness and I'm listening to the music and I'm um, absorbing it um, as, as part of my, you know, my little world here, what I'm feeling in it, right? Um, or extreme excitement and adrenaline and, and like I'm uh, dancing in the club with my friends, you know, to hip hop, which I, I love to do sometimes. And you're just bouncing and moving and like smiling and laughing and all of those experiences, right? Like they are, we know that they're universal. We know everybody like has, we do a lot of the same things. We all attend concerts. We, we go dancing. We take walks in the park. We love our our doggies we love our families like so just thinking about all of those things right and i think that's why people come to concerts right that's why they come for not only for an experience to come at them but to to be <laughs> weirdly like in their own bubble of feeling um knowing that there's a hundred other people around them or 200 or a thousand who might be experiencing the same thing as they are and they are connected in that way uh, i don't know this person sitting next to me but maybe we both shed a tear or we laugh and we might connect for a moment right um or i might observe someone 10 rows down um Someone, ex uh, like I've had people, I love when people, you know, during quiet moments, right before the applause or something, or, or at an inopportune moment or a place where you shouldn't applaud. I mean, there's no place I think you shouldn't applaud, but, you know, unexpected, someone will just like shout, you know, or like exclaim something or they'll erupt into applause when nobody else does. Like, I love those moments because then we're all like, yeah, that was so exciting, but I was just too scared to emote. And so I didn't, but you did. And that's great. And now I'm going to, and we can share this experience. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I think this is kind of like, this is why I do what I do. This is why we, um, this is why we're here, you know, is to kind of like share our little bubble um, with other people and to feel it. And part of what's great about music is that, I mean, words fail. Um, what is, there was a, I remember, that's, I don't know who said this, but there's this Louis Andreessen opera that came, di, di, oh, what was it called? Um, it'll come to me. In any case, I remember these words reading the subtitle. It said, both words and people fail. 
And I thought that was just really beautiful. I was like, yep, never were truer words spoken. And words, I mean, even when I tell someone I love them, and I know for a fact, like, I tell someone I love them and I just know they don't, they're not hearing it the way I'm saying it or the way I mean it. And it's tragic for me to have failed in the communication of how much I love that person. Um, but then I'll do that thing, right? Where I'll send like a Joni Mitchell song or um, the lyric to something. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I failed at saying this, but this, man, this says it. And it, and it doesn't have to come from me. And in that moment, I realized the universality of it, right? I realized that Joni is saying all these things. It's always, actually, it's a lot of the time it's Joni for me, where I'm like, yep, that lyric. And she's saying it, and she talks about this in interviews she gives too, um, how, God, if we would just step out of our own way, you know what I mean? And be more self-aware, like we could, we could expand our minds that much more and, and there would be so much more love in the world. Uh, but, but these, her words, you know, which may or may not be a personal experience are then my words and they're your words and they're our experience. And somehow hearing that someone else suffered just as much or was just as grateful or happy as I was is like makes me feel like I'm connected or plugged into my life and my existence and like that's purpose and that's why we're here. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to go on. I don't think I answered your question, but, no, I, but hopefully, it, hopefully uh, I answered something. <laughs> I think it's an extremely um could start <laughs> <laughs> thank you robert sure any other questions we don't we usually go... go this long so it's a testament to your creativity oh. and your brilliance and your love and joyfulness that we have gone on this far could you let us know what you're up to, where people can find you? Uh, yeah, I'm in this one place pretty much all the time. <laughs> uh, in Saratoga Springs. You can find me in this one Zoom room all the time. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I'll ha I have a website, you know, www.ashleyvathgate.com, which is woefully out of date at this point. Um, I'm on, you know, I'm on all the socials, Instagram and Facebook, and um, I, I, you know, I'm pretty sure my, there's lots of email and contact ability out there on the interwebs if you did want to get in touch. Um, my music is on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel. It's on Apple Music and Spotify and all the usual, you know, suspects in terms of streaming. Um, and very hopefully, you know, I will be coming to a theater near you in real life one of these days again, I hope. Um, but yeah, there's also a lot of, uh, I've been doing a lot of these kinds of discussions and, and talks throughout uh, the past several months, and they are up on my YouTube channel as well. Uh, and, you know, that's one thing that I actually feel really 
thankful for is that so often we um when you're a musician you would put up your music right like i would put up a video of me playing the cello or performing um and thus and also true for my colleagues uh and i've loved during this pandemic that i've gotten to hear all of them talk uh and and say what they're doing during this pandemic or what they're interested in what they're like you we're having discussions finally like you're getting to actually know other people that maybe you've worked with for years but didn't know about uh like on their in the personal side you didn't know how they spoke you didn't know how they laughed or how or how they cried <laughs> um and god that's beautiful I mean, that's just like an amazing thing, I think, to be have access to people's personalities in this way that we kind of didn't have, um, at least not in such a broad sense uh, before this pandemic. Yeah. So lovely. Well, thank you again, thank Ashley, you. for being on this call today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, all of you. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you, everyone, for joining us. And we shall all see you somewhere, probably on a Zoom screen somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Take good care. Bye for right. now. Bye -bye.